0: The difference I draw here between a mentor and a sponsor is the following. A mentor is giving you advice, how can you do things better for yourself, whereas in the sponsorship position are the people who advocate for you and they create
1: opportunity for you. Inspired Execution, hosted by Datastack's chairman and CEO, Chet Kapoor, follows the journeys of leaders from the world's largest enterprises and fastest growing startups. Ashima Gupta is Google Cloud's Director of Global Healthcare Strategy and Solutions. She started out as a programmer in the finance industry and later found her calling in healthcare at Kaiser Permanente. Today, Ashima shares how Google Cloud is helping providers meet their patients with the right information at the right time, the importance of taking an outside-in approach when you're building products, how to focus on impact versus activities, and the difference between a mentor and a sponsor.
2: Ashima, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Chet. An
0: absolute honor to be here with you today.
2: I can still remember the day and exactly where I was when I had my first call with you while you were at Kaiser. Probably one of my best calls that I made in trying to convince you and hang out with us at Apogee. I'm so glad you did. The impact you had on the company, the impact that you're having at Google Cloud, and more importantly, the impact that you're having on the industry is just spectacular. Uh, great, great stuff. It is awesome to have you on the podcast. Let's get started. So you worked at J.P. Morgan Chase, Kaiser, and more, Apogee, obviously, Google Cloud now. You've been focused on healthcare for quite some time, right? Tell us a little bit about your story.
0: Well, thank you, Chet. Um, So I'll I'll start from the beginning. So uh, having studied my bachelor's and master's in computer science, so I came to States in 1997, and my first job was at Fidelity Investments. I grew through the ranks as a programmer, and that became the field. FinTech, as we now call it, is a fascinating world. Uh, In fact, I don't know if you know this, Chet, my first two patents are in FinTech. So I spent a good 10 plus years in the finance industry Uh, JP Morgan Chase, Fidelity Investments, and things like that. Uh, In 2008, um, the sudden loss of my father uh, due to health reasons he was in India back then, it made me reflect and have a kind of deeper look into what do I want to do next? At the heart of it, in computer science or the work we do, we're always doing some problem solving. So then the question is, what kind of problem do you want to solve? So it made me think about how should I spend my time going forward? And it was, you know, when there's a will, there's a way, stars were aligned and Kaiser had an opening and I knew the CIO back then. So he had come from a banking world too. So that became, okay, I want to find a deeper meaning and join Kaiser Permanente, who was there for six plus years when I first met you. And I still remember, Chet, how convincing you were and, and thank you for giving me the opportunity of a lifetime and recruiting me into this thing and the phenomenon called Apogee. To me, Apogee was a big, big part of my, my journey and not because it was a startup. It was, I think, what Apogee stood for. And in, in, Chet, sorry for embarrassing you there, but you created a culture. We all felt like we could take chances. We had a decision attitude and the obsession about customers. I think that's the few things in that journey. And then Apogee gets acquired by Google. And here I am taking those lessons learned along the journey and bringing that to my work.
2: How has it been at Google? Because if I think about the platform, right, uh, having spent three years there, you know, you're solving intergalactic problems, right? And healthcare is definitely ripe for change, right? A lot is happening in healthcare, but it's still fairly slow moving and I'm sure COVID has helped quite a bit, but how has it been, you know, having a platform like Google to actually affect change in the industry?
0: That's a great question, Chad. So stepping back, as you said, healthcare as an industry is pretty slow. But if you look into it, we have some of the best and brightest people in, in healthcare, in general in the industry. We have remarkable labs, really good hospital systems. incredible scientific achievements. Our hospitals are among the very best in the world. And the talent to match. And yet, when you look into um, how much we are spending, we're spending way too much on healthcare for Americans, around two to three times more than any other high income nations. And yet the outcomes, be it the chronic disease, be it life expectancy or infant mortality, we do not have much to boast about despite all the resources, despite all the talent and in, in, in spending we have in healthcare in the US. So when you look into, like, from Google's perspective, there's a role for big tech to play, but at the end, it is around the ecosystem. The hospitals, the big tech, the startups, they all have to come together because challenge is much, much bigger than one company alone. So uh, from Google's perspective, uh, our North Star has always been, it was founded on the idea, can we provide the right information at the right time, and in the right setting, right? when you do the search, as an example. So now from the health perspective, when you're meeting patients in the most vulnerable moments, what can Google do? So one is a consumer side, but where I sit in the enterprise, we are enabling them to meet their patient, their consumers in the way and helping them provide the right information at the right time. So again, going back to the mission, it became much more real, but it's much more focused on the enterprises for where I sit in Google, in the Google Cloud settings.
2: How about ML and AI? And if you can narrow it, not just from a Google perspective, because Google does a lot in, in ML and AI across the board, but from a Google Cloud perspective, how is ML and AI affecting healthcare and all the people that you talk to?
0: Great question, uh, Chet. To start us off, I I want to um, root us all in the statement that is actually not mine. This is for McKenzie. They're saying in less than 10 years, by 2030, AI will be the number one driver for global GDP growth. That means the enterprises will be adopting AI and that AI absorption in the enterprise is going to be the key in in driving the growth. And healthcare is no exception, but where healthcare, it truly matters is the outcomes. So I'll give you an example and kind of make it real. So we all talk about there's variety of data in, in healthcare settings the volume the the variety is overwhelming for physicians so our work that we're doing with Mayo Clinic it is around radiation therapy so if you are unfortunate in, in having a cancer radiotherapy is the number one first line of treatment is you're given the radiation for the most type of cancers so here what we are really working on when you are giving a radiation therapy to a patient, there, there's a lot of planning that happens before the radiation is given. So there's a tumor, and a radiation therapist then conduce the tumor so that the radiation can be precise and given to that, you know, to distinguish the healthy tissue from the tumor tissue. So now we are working with Mayo Clinic in understanding the different tumor types and different cancers, especially for head and neck cancers, and having AI draw the contours around tumors thereby saving the workflow time. So the preparation time gets reduced to much, much less. And they are really looking into creating this treatment plans for patients where AI is assisting. And this is just one example where we have wealth of data about head and neck tumors and cancer type, but here we have trained the algorithm to see a cancer tumor and target the delivery of radiation therapy. So it's more kind of automation, automating the back office, the radiation specialist and bringing that AI into that, uh, that workflow, if you will.
2: That is an awesome use case. So let me take it in exactly the opposite direction. There's a very strong movement in healthcare about empathy, right? It is not just about curing something, but actually being there for the patients as well. Does AI help with that or it actually hurts that, right? Because at the end of the day, it's the relationship that the doctor, the surgeon, the nurse, and everybody else has with the patient.
0: That's a great point, Chet, and and I strongly believe Our healthcare story is yet to be written, and for the very first time, patients are the one writing that healthcare story. And when patients come to a healthcare system or a doctor, they're letting us into those stories before they know how a physician or a health system can respond with compassion or understanding that, that that needs to be established. And that's where I believe AI can help bridge the gap. Human connection is important. And healthcare is a human endeavor, but can we make that experience much more powerful for both physicians? So imagine if you're going to a physician, but they know all your history. They know based on this condition, what other patients like yourselves have gone through, what treatment has worked or not worked, but having the data at the fingertip, it's still very, very difficult. So to me, Technology will be an enabler to establish that kind of empathetic connection, but it's not going to replace the human connection. So I think that's where I would want to distinguish, can we enable that human endeavor, that human connection with compassion and providing that complete understanding of a patient?
2: If I can extend that, what you're saying is with everything that ML and AI does, it actually frees up the time for the care provider for them to spend more time with the patient on things that they care more about rather than sifting through data and coming up with recommendations. I mean, you have the systems helping you out with recommendations. The healthcare provider still needs to make a recommendation, but they have more time for compassion. Is that a fair way to look at it?
0: You you nailed it, Chat. Absolutely. The amount of data being generated and will be generated is going to be overwhelming. And even in today's case, a physician spends roughly around two hours per day on documentation. So they do the patient notes, they all kind of type it into the EHR. So when AI, if you look into different building blocks, conversation, language, computer vision, can they all come together in handling that or reducing that burden, the administration burden?
2: Let's talk a little bit about... Leading, I have always maintained, and you've heard me say a couple of things. One is, you know, facts are outside, opinions are inside. And the second thing is, it's not about coaching and managing, it's about influencing because you can actually get to more people that way. You have developed a very strong outside in approach, right? Uh, From just thinking about the patient, the healthcare worker, and then moving back, right? And using all your technical expertise to actually, you know, bring the technology to serve them. How do you take that approach, that the strong approach you have, and actually remind people that it is really important to think about things from that the outside-in point of view rather than the inside-out point of view, especially at a company like Google, which, by the way, solves massively big problems with a, with a very strong technology point of view?
0: Yeah, Chetina, I'll go back to, again, when I first met you. When you were at Kaiser, I had the depth Right, we. I was very good in understanding the technology stack. And Kaiser is an integrated delivery network, so I knew what I knew. And then when I joined Apogee, and it became pretty clear. I remember in my first month, you said Ashma the the same the line that you just used today. The fact that outside meet with as many customers as you can, and it didn't come naturally to me. I am a basically an introvert person to be able to make and meet people was, was a chore. But I have to tell you, Chet, it served me so well because that's where now you, you're you seeing the perspective of your stakeholders. And that's where we call it outside and in perspective. I had to practice it. I had to get discipline around it. Because it fundamentally is about seeing the world to the eyes of your key stakeholders, your key buyers. And I remember you had a whole program around it. Like, how are they thinking? But at the end, you also um, had this phenomena that we, we call that customers are your product managers. And we are not giving them or selling them our technology. And same thing is now true for Google. We're really asking them to reimagine. Like, how will they become different, better and transform their industry leveraging technology. So the conversation completely changes because you're not talking about technology for the sake of technology, you're really understanding very deeply what is the business problem they're trying to solve? What is the business transformation they're going to undertake and how can you help them? So it changes the kind of the the equation, if you will.
2: You're in this unique position where you actually have to see the forest Uh, with boards you're on, you know, with the the strategy role you have, as well as you need to focus on the trees, right? You have to focus on execution because without execution, you have nothing. How do you do that at a personal level? Any tips and tricks there?
0: I would say doing less, um, so choosing a handful of projects to work on that are mission critical. And there's always that principle, like focus on the 20% of your work that will have 80% of the impact. And another thing, uh, again, reflecting back on Appity Days is activity doesn't count, impact does. So that kind of puts you, am I doing this activity for the sake of the activity? And how do you measure impact? And that's where focusing on doing less, focusing on handful of projects which will have this uh, impact. And that was, I believe, one of the best advice. So to focus on very, very few things, but doing them well. Otherwise, you're just too scattered. You are doing everything and a lot of activities, but there's no impact.
2: That's a much nicer way to say what I I continue to say, which is activities don't pay for college educations. But I 100% agree with that. Let's talk a little bit about you personally. What comes naturally to you?
0: I think to me naturally is the problem-solving, and in healthcare is now very personal to me. You know, after losing my dad, and I don't know, Chet, if I told you, uh, my mom went through COVID episode back in India, and, and it's you're much more resolute now. So to make that personal connection with your work, it's now part of me. It's, it's how I work, and I believe it's very rare where your passion and your profession combine. And that's where I would say it comes natural to me, but there's that link that I'm able to establish, and it's been pretty um, fundamental to how I work. The why of what I do is, is is that.
2: What has been hard? What is something you've had to work on to overcome?
0: So what has been hard at times, shared diversity and inclusion is still much talked about, but Finding your path and, and, and focusing on reducing the noise around you, it takes practice, it takes time, but being intentional about it uh, has helped me. So reducing the noise around one's, one's own path is important. And um, I've seen that in the journey, i found really good mentors, sponsors, and Chatur, you know, you're one of them. It's important. And the the difference I draw here between a mentor and a sponsor is the following hey a mentor is giving you advice how can you do things better for yourself whereas in the sponsorship position are the people who advocate for you and they create opportunity for you so I've been very fortunate and lucky that uh, to have the sponsorship along the way Chet. and uh, so but again it's not a straight line it's you, you take um, you do internalize the noise and, and still. Keep moving forward, progress.
2: I absolutely love the distinction between mentor and and sponsor. That was very well articulated. I've constantly said two things. One is you, you have to recognize that you zigzag your way through. There is no straight line, even though, you know, history writes it that way. It's never that way. The second thing is I constantly talk about this Ashima, and I want your point of view on this. Is uh, anybody that is Cracked uh, work life balance is full of shit because it's a constant struggle, right? You're constantly juggling being a parent, being a child, you know, having children, work, and everything you're doing for the world, right? And so you seem to juggle it all. I've had a chance to see you up close and personal, and, you know, it's not the easiest thing, right? You have to prioritize, and at some point, you want to make sure you prioritize this over the other. For aspiring younglings, right, who are listening to this podcast, any words of advice on, you know, work-life balance kind of thing?
0: Chedi, yeah, I think you've already given that advice. There is no balance. The struggle
2: exactly. is the balance, right?
0: <laughs> exactly. And and but if you understand why you're doing so, work doesn't feel like work to me anymore, Chet, right? This is what I do. This is a passion. So finding something that sparks that passion in you then work doesn't look like work so yes, yeah, so then you're then it's life it's all kind of integrated your personal life your work life it's all one and I, I have to tell you that I have many moments yet where I feel I've not been a good mother I, I constantly I'm riddled with that guilt all the time uh, but you do your best and and you do better with what you have and I think it's a journey that's sometimes going back where um, a few months ago when mom had COVID, I left everything and spent all my time with her. So you will see and you will rise up and time gets created for things that matter. So at times the work will take priority. At times the family will take priority, but it will not be one harmonious day to day.
2: Who inspires you?
0: My mom is the greatest inspiration to me. And it's been pretty tough seeing her in COVID. And, and one thing that stood out for me was resilience. And this is one of the things that I want to take from that experience. Isolation is very hard for seniors. And COVID was really devastating back in India. And But she would still smile and say, no, I'll, I'll get through that. And she got through it. It's still it's been a pretty tough journey. But that resilience that I've seen in her is what is inspiring to me right now and, and I'll take that forward with me.
2: All right, I have some rapid fire quick response questions. There are four of them. I'm going to start with the first. What new technology are you most excited about?
0: Current focus is around health equity. We are seeing machine learning and artificial intelligence can play an important role in advancing health equity. So your today is your zip code pretty much tells how healthy you will be. And now there's a lot of efforts in can we make healthcare equitable? That's one, something I'm very, very uh, excited about.
2: What are you reading or listening to right now?
0: Indra Nui's new book, My Life in Full.
2: By the way, I just started reading it. She starts with a very personal aspect of her life. You know, generally when people write autobiographies, right, it is they generally start by, you know, one of the high points. And, and so I, I love the I love the beginning. I've just started reading it. It's so it's it's a super interesting book. If you can have a dinner party with only three people, who's on your invite list?
0: So I would start with Barack Obama, RBG. And uh, now I think as I'm reading the book, I'm becoming a fan of Indra Nui, So so hard.
2: That's good. At least the good news is that they all know each other. <laughs> right. So <laughs> so you'll be hanging around three people that have met and talked to each other uh, a bit. And so that's awesome. What's one word or phrase that defines a good leader?
0: I would say humble.
2: Last question, not in a rapid fire mode, but um, what advice would you share with a younger version of yourself?
0: I would say take risk. Just go out and do it. Uh, As they say, you miss 100% of the chances or shots you never take. It's so true in life. So I would say take risk, go do it, bet on yourself. We all bet on others. We bet on, you know, our families, friends. You need to bet on yourself as well.
2: That's awesome. Ashima, this has been spectacular. And I'm sure our listeners will learn so much. Really appreciate you making the time.
0: Thank you, Chet. Always an honor and thank you for being part of this journey for me, it it means a lot,
1: thank you. To be a great leader, you have to be willing to get out of your comfort zone. It's also crucial to look at the world through the eyes of your customers and really understand what problems they're trying to solve. Remember Ashima's advice to focus on the 20% of your work that will have 80% of the impact. And finally, look for sponsors not just mentors, to advocate for you and help create new opportunities throughout your career. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Inspired Execution podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show, and drop us any questions or feedback at inspiredexecution@datastacks.com.